Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I don't know if any of you fall into this camp, but I am a Star Trek fan. Now, I'm not a huge Trekkie. I don't own any costumes, and I don't go to conventions. I don't even think I own any of the movies or TV shows, but I do enjoy Star Trek. And there is a scene in the classic television series, Star Trek, the original series, where Captain James T. Kirk and his fellow officers are taken captive by an android named Norman. Now, Norman thinks in pure logic, and his goal is to bring the greedy and aggressive human race under control. To escape, Kirk and his men try to confuse the logical android through a series of contradictory statements culminating in an exchange between Kirk and the infamous villain Harry Mudd, an intergalactic scoundrel, cheat, and liar who is also being held captive by Norman. The final blow to the logic-driven android comes when Kirk introduces what is called the liar's paradox. The liar's paradox sets up like this. Kirk tells Norman that everything Mudd says is a lie. Mud responds by telling Norman that he, that is Mud, is telling a lie. Norman cannot handle this contradictory input. His android systems overload and everyone is able to escape. You see, Norman could not handle the mystery that two things could at the same time be seemingly contradictory and yet true. Today, we continue our celebration of Christmas. And what is Christmas if not a series of seeming contradictions and remarkable contrasts that at first can seem difficult to reconcile? In Christmas, we meet the Messiah of the Jewish people, not born to the temple elite like his cousin John, but born to a humble family from the rural outpost of Nazareth. We celebrate the birth of the child who had come to change the course of history, born in a barn to a working class family in an insignificant province of the Roman Empire. And perhaps the seeming contradiction that is the most vexing of all, we have the virgin birth. Our savior, Jesus Christ, true God and true man is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to a virgin. In our epistle reading this morning from Galatians, we are also introduced to another remarkable contrast, the contrast of slavery and airship. Paul tells us in verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So we are heirs through God, and this is a remarkable thing. But what does it mean that we are no longer slaves. This implies that you and I at one time were a slave. Now, this is a difficult thing for us to understand in our culture. I look around the church and I don't see anyone here who has ever been a slave. None of us knows what it means to be a slave. Now, sure, we have read about slavery in our country and others, but this is mostly in our history books. Or we may have even seen or heard a news story about some form of contemporary slavery. But these, for the most part, occur in parts of the world far removed from our 
little cloister in Tillamook. So I can easily see us responding like the Jews in John 6, exclaiming, we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? To which Jesus replies, truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now we in the church might like to look down our noses at the world and point out the sins that we see in our culture, and they are abundant. We have our overly sexualized and violent entertainment. We have the couple cohabitating with no plans of getting married. We have the profanity-laced tirade of the unchurched co-worker. But doesn't Paul tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? And so, because of our slavery to sin, despite our best efforts, at times we too grow weak and succumb to our temptations. When we cast judgment on the sins of others, when we look lustfully at that young man or woman on the television screen, or when we gossip about our neighbor, perhaps who lives next door, or perhaps who's sitting in the pew next to you this morning, we are succumbing to our weakness, to our slavery to sin, and there is nothing we can do to free ourselves from this slavery. So then how are we freed from our sin and slavery? How are we sons and daughters, heirs of God? Only through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here is the great mystery of the faith, another seemingly irreconcilable contradiction of God's work. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, humbled himself to be born a man, humbled himself to be born and live under the law, to live among slaves. Christ humbled himself to take the form of a slave. And as Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ, the true son and heir of God, not only humbles himself to become fully man, but he humbles himself to take upon himself the wages of our sin, death. He takes them to the cross. And as we learn in Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so here is another seeming contradiction. Jesus, God himself, stands cursed because of you and because of me. Jesus takes upon himself our curse on the cross. And by doing so, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith, as Paul writes earlier in Galatians. So we become sons and daughters, heirs of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Through Christ's atoning sacrifice, you are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are counted among the saints. All of this because 
of what Jesus has done for you and on your behalf. Now, to the world, this all seems very mysterious. We seem to be presenting a seemingly irreconcilable set of paradoxes that disprove the faith. The world uses these seeming contradictions to criticize the faith. It says that two things, these two things cannot both be right. Therefore, the Bible is full of contradictions. And if the Bible is full of contradictions, it cannot be true. Now, we in the church ourselves sometimes don't know what to make of these seeming contradictions. We may just blindly accept some without much thought. Others we may try to actively avoid thinking about, and a few we may occasionally wrestle with ourselves. But the truth is that for Christians, and for we Lutherans in particular, we exist in a world of paradoxes and mystery. And you know what? We're okay with that. As theologians of the cross, we call a thing what it actually is what the word of God tells us that it is. In the waters of your baptism, God saves you, claiming you as his child, his heir through Christ Jesus. We know this because God tells us so. In 1 Peter 3, baptism now saves you. Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Titus 3, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How does baptism work salvation? It is a mystery to man, but God commands it and tells us that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6. So we happily live in the mystery, knowing that God's word is true. You are saved. Likewise, in Holy Communion, when you take his body and drink his blood, you are forgiven. Again, this is so because God's word tells us it is. In Matthew 26, we read, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So how does bread and wine work the forgiveness of sins? Again, this is a mystery to man. But we have Christ's assurance that when we do as he commands, by his word, in, with, and through the bread and wine, you are forgiven. As Christians, we accept and even embrace the mysteries of the faith in Christ Jesus, even as the world rejects them. Paul both warns and reassures us of this in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he writes, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so we continue to live in the mysteries and seeming contradictions of the faith because God is working our salvation through what seems to be mysterious and contradictory to you and to me.
Yes, we do stand condemned as sinners by the law, but we are also saved by the gospel. We are at one and the same time sinners in need of a savior and saints in the church of Christ. We live in the now and the not yet. And while, the world, and while to the world these mysteries might seem like folly or a stumbling block, we have a sign of God's promise and power working through these mysteries made manifest in the birth of baby Jesus on Christmas. And it is through Jesus that we become heirs through God. This is the promised gift that is delivered on Christmas morning and opened on Easter. For while Christ did take upon himself your curse and my curse, dying on, the, on a tree, he did not remain dead. For he rose again, and being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, so that we might have a place with him as heirs to the promise of God, heirs to life and salvation. Your inheritance as heirs of God is assured by faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the greatest Christmas gift of all. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.